welcome you again as we continue our time of worship together now in God's Word. Uh, And we are in our walk through the book of Mark. We've returned to it after our Christmas uh, activities and Sundays. And so uh, if you're familiar or have read ahead for this morning, you know that chapter 13 is a very complicated chapter, okay? Uh, There's a pastor I sometimes listen to, um, radio online, his name's Chuck Swindoll. Um, He would say, he made this statement, that this chapter is by far the single most complicated chapter in the Gospels. Um, And so your young pastor, thank you, is going to do his best to teach it, okay, even though I've been doing this over 20 years, but um, so I will, of course, be giving you some perspective up front and some disclaimers, okay, I love those two things when you're preaching, okay, they're, they're healthy for all of us, um, including myself, um, it's safer to start with the disclaimer, so I'm going to start there, okay, number one, my goal is not to be the most dynamic preacher you've ever heard, okay? I know some of you are going, amen, you, you've proved that, okay? I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to be someone who you walk away and think, wow, he was good, okay? It's not my goal. But rather for you to walk away and think, wow, God's word is so good. Does that make sense? For you to walk away and think that, thus, for me, my goal is to be a faithful teacher, not dynamic preacher, okay? Uh, Number two, you probably have some expectations, if you're familiar with uh, Mark chapter 13, which ties in Matthew 24, parallel story, Luke 21, um, the Olivet Discourse is what this is called, okay? You probably have some expectations, and I am not going to meet them. Okay, I just so that we're all good right up front. Even, but you may be saying, "Well, my expectations actually for you are pretty low." Okay, I'm good with that too. Okay, so my my goal is to get you to study for yourself as much as I possibly can and spark your interest in in digging into the Bible and studying and seeing how. So now, what do I do with this today in light of what I'm studying and what I'm learning? Okay. So I will not resolve all your questions and and probably will just create more. And I hope that it does. Okay? I will I will not fully explain or or resolve my or your position on eschatology. And you hear that word, and that just means end times theology. Okay? I those of you that know me know I fall into that pre trib, premillennial, dispensational position, okay, and you're like, that was a mouthful, yeah, it is, okay, or, you know, I'm not going to do justice to any of the positions, whether you're pre-millennial, all-millennial, post-millennial, preterist, however you want to put whatever camp you want to get into, um, I, I, I'm not going to fully explain all that stuff, that would be a whole series on its own, okay, so um, I've never met anybody who can fully explain or resolve this issue, solid, you know, for sure, and not sure we're really meant to, that makes sense, but it's good to study and learn and push closer and closer to what what we can know. So the perspectives I want to give you, that's the disclaimers, the perspectives I want to give you uh, with this are, are first, one, the tendency for us when, when reading stuff like this is either we tend to totally disregard it, like we go, I don't understand any of this, and we, we just go to the next chapter, right? We just skip over it. I, it's not worth, like that's giving me a headache. I haven't had enough coffee, and we move on, right? So we either totally disregard it, and I would encourage you to dig in and not be afraid to learn more. Some of you grew up in those churches where they'd go, now if anybody ever says Jesus about Jesus coming back on a white horse, you just kick them out of the church, right? Um there's all those kind of stuff going on, and so some of us were raised with in churches. We just don't talk about end times. We don't talk about Revelation, man. We just it's never addressed. It's never. So if you grew up in that, you'll read a, a chapter like this and go, 
and you get nervous and you think, I'm just going to move on, right? So you have a tendency to disregard it. But I'm going to tell you, it's God's Word and it's for you. So there's no need to be afraid of it, right? I mean, He loves you and gave it to, gave it to you for a reason. So just dig in and try to figure it out, right? And ask questions and talk to people who can help you, right? And if I can't, I, you know, i got people I'll refer you to because I have people that I go to, right? So our tendency is, is to, be af- to be afraid. Don't be afraid to learn more. Um, if that's you, you have a tendency to do that. Or our tendency goes completely the other way, and we have a tendency to be c- so consumed by a certain topic, right? We get consumed by, um, by it that we, like on this topic, we get into saying of considering prophetic truth the only emphasis worth studying in Scripture. And that's all we focus on, and man, it's everything to us, right? And I've seen too many people become consumed with certain theological positions, not just this, but different camps of Calvinism, Arminianism, all that, different eschatologies, different creation ideas. Like, they get so entrenched in those things that they, they, you can't even get a conversation out of them about anything else. And it seems like it's to the exemption of talking about Jesus, which is, should be our main focus, right? And so it's at the, and becomes at the expense. They're so hardcore about it, it's at the expense of their relationship really with God because they're so consumed with the knowledge side and, and the relationship side and at the expense of their emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ and evangelism, which Scripture clearly teaches should be our emphasis. And so love and unity in the body are more important, really, than knowledge, okay? If you read the love chapter about about that, the greatest of these is love, right? Before that, it talks about all that stuff about knowledge and prophecy. It's about love and unity of the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's really kind of, it says it's not worth anything, right? So the purpose of these passages of the words of Jesus are not meant to answer all your questions. That's not what he was attempting to do even for those guys that he's addressing. Or even really rouse our curiosity, okay? He tells us himself, in you know, that we won't know everything about it. No one knows the time he's going to return. There's things he says, there's things you won't know or won't be able to discover about these issues. So his, it's really not meant to do that, but rather the point of these words are to instruct and guide and protect his people. That's what he's trying to do. He's not trying to give them everything they need to know uh, about the and be all knowledgeable about the end times. He, he's saying, you need to obey all that other stuff I told you so that you're ready for this, which I can't fully explain all of it to you. I mean, that's the gist of it, right? And it's not so much about when and what as it is, so then how shall we live faithfully today? Right? Okay? So Jesus says in these passages, we will read, what I say to you, uh, and we may not get to that part, but he says, because I I so thought I was going to get through this whole chapter. I'm going to cover the first eight verses this morning, okay? Um, What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. And then later he'll say, don't be asleep. Okay? So the point is, how are we to be alert and ready? Okay? So that we don't become complacent and apathetic in our walk with Christ. It's it's not about acquiring more knowledge, but about growing in our love relationship with Jesus so that we walk each day with a gospel emphasis in our lives, being ready for any moment for him to return. So perspective that's perspective one. Number two is the gospel is the gospel and does not change with your end time theology. It should not, okay? We are clearly told what the gospel is. We are clearly told what we're to do with it. And our emphasis is to be proclaimers of the gospel as we walk with Christ. Like, that's our focus, okay? Our end times theology does not change that in as much as we have so much we don't understand and won't. Jesus intends for us to understand there's some big stuff coming, and he gives us all these pieces. It's fun, and it's challenging to dig into it and try to figure some of these things out. I love 
even speculating and going, I think this, and I th-, you know, and, and always give those disclaimers when it's, the Bible says, but, you know, here's some things we do know, and then there's all these pieces, you know, and I think it's kind of here, right? And, and I have my own view on how it plays out, but we should be about godly living and sharing the gospel as we grow in our relationship with him so that we're always alert and ready any time that he comes, okay? I have my view on how it plays out. I believe that whatever you believe about the end times, it should just push your urgency to share the gospel, be about evangelism, and being ready personally in your godly walk with Christ. If your eschatology doesn't motivate you that way, then it's probably not a biblical eschatology. I I said probably trying to be nice and kind and graceful. It's not, okay? It's not biblical, okay? Okay, so, and understand this. Here's another perspective. Your level of of, of intelligence and understanding and biblical scholarship is not the issue because some of us feel like, man, I just don't know as much as so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so, and I can't understand all that stuff, so I'm not as deep a Bible scholar and knowledgeable, and not all of us are meant to be that way, okay? I'm, I'm much more relationally application-driven, but I do the study part because that that's what, talk about that i'm so excited but i'm already in the next week i'm so excited about um because there's something i want a couple of things i want to talk about that i'm like because i learned some stuff okay a couple of things but we're to study and show ourselves approved okay and so as much as i'm relationally driven i can't know how to do this if i don't study and show myself approved okay so both of them go together, even though I'm driven that way. But there's people that are so knowledge-driven, sometimes they exempt the other one, just like I do the other way, okay? So we're supposed to put that together, okay? So biblical scholarship isn't really the issue, okay? Some people think, I'm just not smart enough to figure it out. That doesn't exempt you from trying, okay? You dig in there. The Holy Spirit reveals things to you and works in your life and will teach you things if you'll just sit down and read and put in the effort and pray and say, God, show me. Okay? You, you, there's things that will pop out at you that you'll go, wow. Okay? And, and, and you'll, over time, you'll get it. Okay? I mean, there's several of you here that have walked with me for 20 years, really. And, you, and you've seen me mess up and you've seen me grow in areas and so you just stay in there and you'll grow okay not so so we it's not to say we don't study and learn so we can grow to say hey if you're not intelligent as someone else or whatever we all need to 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 learn and grow and just because you don't know as much about eschatology as somebody else doesn't mean you're less than and you can still bring glory to god and fulfill your purpose regardless of any lack of understanding about that. So stay out of the comparison game to others is what that's all about, okay? Um, so are you with me or did I lose you? Okay, so let's roll. Mark 13, 1 through 8. This is as far as I'm going to get, and I'm sad about that, but here we go. And and I wish, I, I know some of you inside are laughing because you're going... Marty wasn't looking far enough ahead to see this coming to start small groups with the Olivet Discourse, okay? Um, so Mark 13, 1 through 8, as he, it says this. You know, we've just been through this whole deal of them challenging Jesus and the Pharisees and Sadducees, Herodians even, the scribes coming at him, challenging Jesus, trying to trip him up and all that stuff. And before that, he's been through that whole deal of turning over the tables in the temple and all that. So he's went back out of the temple, Right? He's done the donkey thing, rode in. He's going out. Um, and here we are as he's leaving. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? He's talking about the temple, okay? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. 
Now, the temple was a magnificent structure, okay? Unbelievable in its time to have been built. I mean, you think about the not having the machinery we have. Like, I mean, you guys know that's in construction. understand what it takes to put together structures, but this is more magnificent than probably anything I've ever seen built around here. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing what this structure was without heavy machinery, without techniques we have today, without tools that we have today. The stones were huge. The, the, the center part, actual temple proper, they call it, in the middle, there's the temple, the whole thing, then there's the temple proper. It was white, and, and the top of it, what some people refer to as the cornice of the building, was gold, was, was made of gold. I mean, it was amazing structure. And just the existence of the temple to the Jews, to them, they thought, look at this magnificent structure. Look at what God has blessed us with. He's surely happy with us. We have found favor with God because we have this temple with the Holy of Holies in his presence. And, and look how magnificent this is. Okay, that, that was what that meant to them. It meant the blessing of God was upon the nation. It was they thought it was proof of his favor. At the time, Jesus is speaking to them about this temple, though. It's they're looking across from the Mount of Olives. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse, okay? It's a sermon that Jesus did on the Mount of Olives, okay? At the time they're speaking, the temple isn't even finished yet. And here he's saying it's going to be tore down, okay? Construction of the temple began 20 A.D., doesn't get completed until 64 A.D., so being destroyed in 70 A.D., this thing's only around for six years before it falls, okay? It, it, so being destroyed in 70 A.D., um, six years, 80,000 workers to complete it. Can you imagine? 36 acres is what the temple itself covered. Okay. They flattened the mountaintop. I've got a few pictures. Here's these are all like we don't. They didn't have cameras back then. Just in case some of you are wondering. Okay. So these are just kind of drawings and stuff. Even the computer rendering we'll see in a minute. But this this is you can see the white temple proper in the very center. The whole walled structure. And just look at that compared to the rest of Jerusalem. I mean, when you're looking at the city. This is what it would look look like then, um, as as best we can tell. There's different drawings that have various little differences. Okay, some of them put this. You can see the four towers in the corner over there. Some turn it sideways and put it in the corner. There's just various little differences that they they try. You know, there's some things that just aren't known, um, or people have different interpretations of, but. This is basically the standard of what you would see. Now, these big open courts around on the outside uh, is, is the courts of the Gentiles, okay? But then there's that inner area and that smaller court that's kind of gray in this picture is actually the, the women's court. That's where the Jewish women could go. But then beyond that gate inside there to that white building, right outside of it, you would have the Israel uh, Israelites court with the altar then there would be the court of the priests and then you would get to the main structure the, the temple proper which had a porch you would go into the sanctuary area of it and at the back of that would be a curtained off veiled area called the holy of holies okay so this is the what this that would have been back then and it it is enormous okay I mean, absolutely stunning. Okay, they flattened the mountaintop by building retaining walls, bring it down a little bit and fill in and build buildings underneath parts of it. Okay, and so they've taken this mountain and made it flat on top and built this structure. Okay, it was one fifth of the total land mass of the city. I mean, you can imagine living there and this being there, and I mean, it is it. It reminds me of when I was at, um, when I went to Seattle to do a wedding one time, and you, and you come around Seattle, and you're going down this highway, and you come around the corner, and there's Mount Rainier, is off to, and you just go, whoa, like everything's flat, you're near the ocean, you know, there's just water, and then all of a sudden it's like 
snow-capped, enormous, okay? If I lived there, every day you'd walk outside, you'd just, you just, there's no way you couldn't go. There's Mount Rainier. Like, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to go about your day and not know that's there, really. I mean, I, I can't imagine, right? Specifically, what this represents to them, even more so, right? So the court of the Gentiles outside, women, main structure, Israelites, all that, we went through that. Um, the highest wall point at the edge or near out here on this southwest corner, okay, is, is the Kidron Valley is there. And that wall there is, one of the, is the highest, tallest point of the wall structure, okay, was 158 feet high, that wall over here at the left bottom. Could you imagine, okay, 158 feet. Um, some of the stones were 12 feet by 12 feet by 40 feet long. Okay, 400 tons, one stone. And you're going, how in the world did they, and there's, there's some of these stones, I mean, they're there today where they've been taken down, but they've been moved somewhat in that today, but they were taken down, the temple came down, and you can see these little square slots through them and stuff of how they would have put poles through them and all these guys would have lifted them and there's all these just amazing, but still 400 tons to be that huge, it makes you wonder how they, <laughs> how in the world even just people could have done that, okay? And the temple proper in the center is 90 feet higher than the rest of the structure, okay? So I have to tell you this, because this, this is too cool. Like, if I ever go, I'm so doing this, but there's a pastor I listened to, and he was telling a story about how when he went and visited, even today, you know, it's not as high because things have came down, but it's still really high on the southwest corner. So he said, I went, and it's just an amazing to look down this Kidron Valley and across at the Mount of Olives. And so he took a Whammo Frisbee with him. This is a pastor for a large church, okay? He had it in his backpack, and he said, security's really tough today. It's not like back in the day, you know, kind of thing. He said, so I just had to make sure nobody's looking around. He said, I just wanted to see, because he said, it's impressive to be up that high. So he said, I got this really heavy whammo that floats real good. And when nobody was looking, I just zinged it out off the temple across the Kidron Valley just to watch it float out, because it's just such a grand sight, and just watch it float over to the Mount of Olives. He said, it was really cool. So I probably gave myself away, okay? But, like, if I ever go... Whammo, man, I'm do, I'm, I want to do that. Like, that would be too. It has no spiritual significance whatsoever um, and can only get you in trouble. But it would just be cool to do, okay? I know I'm teaching our young people the wrong things, but that would just be cool, okay? So, carrying on, okay, um, is 90 feet tall. The story is that the Romans, because of that gold cornice around the top, the Romans, when they took over, lit a fire and got it so hot underneath that building that the gold melted, pours down through the cracks, and so they took every stone off to get all that gold out of it after they melted it, okay? And so that, there's, there's different variations of that story, but that seems to be the most reliable, solid story from historical data that we can find, but it, it, it's amazing, I mean, those stones that come down today, 2000, you know, 2,000 years later, you can go there, and in the streets are these huge dents that are still there from those big stones coming down and hitting the road, hitting the stone roads and creating those big dents. So there, there's some still there. So, that, so this literally happened, okay? But you've got to get about the Bible and about what's going on, over, what we see over there. The Bible is so accurate historically, okay, if you ever doubt any of that. So it goes on to say in verse 3, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, Olives opposite the temple. There's a couple more pictures, sorry. Go to the bigger picture so you can see how impressive that would look. You can't see in the picture, but there, in this picture there were actually people in the temple courts, but they're so, pixel, they're so small because that's such a huge, it's 36 acres, it's hard to see in this picture. Um, and then the next one, this is a map of what it would have looked like. So you can see the, the pinkish area is the temple proper area with its courts, the larger temple. 
compared to the upper city, lower city. Um, and then off to your right over here um, is the Kidron Valley, goes over to the Mount of Olives, okay? And so he's sitting across at the Mount of Olives looking directly there at the, at the temple, okay? So he's sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. The other two accounts in Matthew and Luke don't tell us. It just says the disciples came to him. He gets more specific, and here's who came and asked him these questions, even though they, it's said to be that they were all present, but these are the ones that kind of came aside and said, let's ask you some questions about this. Okay? Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and, I, and will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. And so that chapter, is what we're going to, that paragraph, that three through eight is what we'll spend the rest of our time on. This is a chapter of transition in the gospel of Mark. It bridges the ministry of Jesus and the historical narratives of of what he did, and the, some people call it the controversial narratives of where they, a couple chapters of him getting interrogated by all those people. And this, this is like a bridge to the passion narratives, as they're referred to, where Jesus heads to the cross and is beaten, um, dies for, our sin, for the sins of the world, and um, what happens during that passion week. And so... This is a bridge, and this is, this is an interesting bridge and transition um, it, it, in what we see. It bridges us to chapter 14 and 15. Um, like I said, parallels with Matthew 24, Luke 21. There's, there's other places you can go that I just, there's no way for me to have time to get into like Daniel 9 through 11, get into Revelations and, and Revelation, some of those um, 16, some of the areas that, that this that things touch on. Um, so we're not going to get that deep, but just if you're interested in doing that kind of thing. But he's sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking across, and Jesus gives this sermon, all of that discourse. Um, like I said, been in the temple, turned over the tables, all that stuff. And he's left back out. And why is he gone to the, why is he on the Mount of Olives? Where is he going? Does anybody know? Where's his hotel? We'll refer to it as a hotel. He's staying with who? Lazarus and Martha and Mary, right? So that's why I love the Bible because you go, like, there's details that, like, you'd go, you'd just miss that if you were making this up, right? But, like, it's, it's not, he's going back across the Mount of Olives on the other side um, of the Mount of Olives, uh, heading back to Bethany to stay with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, Okay. Now, the Mount of Olives is 100 feet higher than Jerusalem, it's, it's above the temple, so it's a great view and amazing. Now, now what gets everybody's attention when he's speaking is when he opened and he said that, uh, the, what he said about the temple being destroyed. If you understand the history and the importance of the temple, then you understand the shock of this statement that he's making. I believe Jesus weaves together two different things in these passages. And the two things he kind of weaves together are a near event and a far event, okay? There's, there's, he's kind of putting these, and there's language that tells us and helps us to understand this. He tells them about the near event, the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 A.D., and the far event, he, starts talk, he, he references and talks about the end of times, with the rise of the Antichrist and the Great Tribulation, there again, my understanding of premillennial, okay, um, which I believe written about in the book of Daniel and much in Revelation. But these guys are thinking things are going to happen quickly, like all this is going to be done in their mind, okay? These guys are thinking it's, it's going to be weeks or months, okay? 
not years. Just by reading this, I believe you can understand, um, however, that Jesus is letting them know not all this will take place in, in your lifetime. There's some things that, that will, and there's a lot that won't, okay? He says many wars will happen. Kingdoms will rise against kingdoms, earthquakes and famines. And, and he says that's merely the beginning of the birth pains until the end comes, right? History will continue to unfold. And so now the Jews at this time, they had a, this was just the way it was for them. They had this fixed eschatology. The Jews had their thinking and the way they they thought about how all this played out based on the scriptures that they had. They believed basically four things, that there will be great turmoil leading up to the end time, okay? That's, That's the first thing they believed. They thought, and they thought that that was fulfilled by the Roman occupation. That's what they're thinking, okay? Number two, they thought that Elijah or an Elijah-like forerunner would come and announce the Messiah. It's why they got so excited and everybody ran down the river to get baptized by John the Baptist. Remember, it referred to him as, is this Elijah? Is, there was speculation and even referred to in that Elijah-like forerunner appearing. And so that, that to them fulfilled that, that part, okay? And then number three, a Messiah would come and establish his kingdom and defeat his enemies, Okay? So that whole thing ties in, you see that. And number four, um, scattered Jews will return from everywhere um, and, and the land there, that they were, the promised land will be recovered so that they get the re- temple restored in the, in, to the kingdom of the Messiah, okay? And, and the, dis- the disciples themselves thought they were at stage number three, the Messiah's come. He's going to restore his kingdom, right? But now they don't understand that Jesus is, they, they can't grasp in their minds, based on where they think they are, that Jesus is saying, in your future, the temple's going to be destroyed. They're like, that does not match our eschatology. It doesn't match what we understand about the end times, Okay. And, and he tells them not to be deceived by others to come and, there's all, and that there's always been a deception about these, about these things. There's always been this spiritual battle going on and this deception being put out there of how things would be. We should never be surprised or taken off guard by spiritual warfare, okay? I, I, I'm often taken back sometimes by my own being ignorant of, okay? But I'm often taken back as I counsel people. It's so much easier to see it in other people than to see it in ourselves, right? I'm often taken back by the fact that people, you know, you've got this person who's such a devoted follower of Christ or says they are and aren't aware of the spiritual warfare when they go through it as though they were going to be immune to it, okay? And, and, and it's part of the downfall of things like the prosperity gospel. If I have no faith, I'll never go through those things. Well, baloney, okay? Tell that to Jesus and the disciples, okay? Didn't happen that way for them. Many Christians act like, and we live like, like I did a whole sermon on this, uh, I think it was last year sometime, but talks about how we so act like we're not at war as Christians. We do. The world just waters us down waters the church down, churches are irrelevant, there's nothing fun, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's all this, well, I didn't like this, and I don't like that, it's, it's too cold, it's too hot, it's blah. And, and there's so much stuff we get focused on not realizing we're at war, and we think it's peacetime, and I should be comfortable in peacetime, so if this doesn't match how I feel about things, I'll just, maybe I just won't go as often. Maybe I'll just quit serving. Maybe I'll just quit giving. Maybe I'll just quit... And we back off and we back off and the devil's going, gotcha. And, and all, it, all it took was getting, most of the time it's dividing the people from the pastor. If he can just get in there and tweak that, then you'll just leave church, right? Or get you mad at somebody else across, or get you mad at somebody in your small group or you just quit, 
right? But many Christians act like we're not at war, and it's somehow peacetime. So as, as we wait, as Jesus told them, while you're waiting for his return, you're at war spiritually, which is the real deal that's going on, okay? I watch people get taken aside, taken down, and they, get, they back off spiritually, even quit reading their Bible and praying as much, get very relaxed and discouraged, and they just quit. Even quit the local church. Just become occasional attenders. Well, only when I have to go, I go. And the action is not really what we see here in our interaction so much as it is what's going on in the spiritual realm, as the Bible would talk about, of these forces of good and evil around us that are that it's at war around us, and we're involved in that. Okay? That's why Bible reading, prayer, all those things that we think aren't that really that important and it's peacetime are so important. There are weapons in that war. Okay? So all the action's really happening there. We're in a spiritual battle. So so wake up. Don't be asleep. That's that's really the point of what Jesus is trying to say in this discourse to them is I can't explain all that to you in the end. I'll give you some nuggets, okay? But I'm giving you those nuggets to, like, shock you into going, we need to be ready and we need to be about what Jesus has told us to be about because these things are going to happen, okay? It's a motivation, not the, the main course, okay? And, and the primary tactic of our enemy, Satan, the primary tactic is to discourage us by deception and causing disunity, that's what he's all about. He wants to deceive us and break our relationships with God and with each other. Okay? Unity is what Jesus prayed we would have above all else. Okay? So are you being deceived and being discouraged? Are you being deceived and being used to create disunity? Are you, are you being deceived and getting off of the what? the truth and and yet focused on minor things deceived about things that don't really matter like there's things we get so locked on and so we just put all of our energy into that we go you know what in a hundred years will that really matter in your life will it really matter right i have to get up every day and give that speech to myself okay will this really matter a hundred years from now right Now, like I said, I wanted to get through the whole chapter, but obviously not. So I want to end by talking about verse 8. Like I said, this isn't a thorough eschatology sermon. It's more about how do we live faithfully. Okay, so remember I told you I'd fail your expectations. So I hope I've achieved in failing your expectations, okay? So we will end by talking about verse 8 when it says, For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs, okay? Now, depending on what version you read from, um, I read from the most accurate version. I love saying that to people. Everybody gets offended, right? Um, All the King James people are like, right? And all the paraphrase folks, the message, are like, what? Right, so um, it's okay. If whatever version you have, if it's a solid from a reputable publisher that's known to publish the truth, you're fine. Whether it's NIV or um, any of those, King James is great. New King James, okay, this isn't a sermon on that, okay. But you, it may say differently that where it says birth pangs, okay. Most say birth pangs, but yours may not. But I just believe this is, it is the most literal translation of, the, of what's in the, the original language, okay? So, these are things are merely the beginning, I love the language, of birth pangs, okay? Five times in the Old Testament, that word, wording of birth pangs is used to describe God's judgment, God's wrath upon sin on the earth, Okay? 
and so the birth pangs of a woman, I mean, that's what, that's what you, it's paralleling it to. So I'm glad I'm a guy, okay? Amen, hallelujah, praise God for that one, okay? But very key word, wording and phrasing here, referring to the fact that all these things, this, this has been going on, okay, around us, wars, earthquakes, famines, but birth pangs is key reference. It's one, because it's saying it's going to increase to a point that you're going to know what this increase is about. Just like as you go through birth, there's a point you go, okay, this is for real, this is happening, right? There's these pains along the way, but it, it builds to that moment where it, here it comes, okay? So so it's it's one reason, in addition in addition to the issue of peace in the Middle East is never going to happen, even though everybody's like, well, peace in the Middle East. It's never going to happen. You know why? Because the Bible is true, okay? So it just, should we not try? No, we should try to love our neighbor and get along with, be, as, far, as long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We talked about that, right? But, but it's just like there's never going to be a time till the end of time that there's not going to be wars, there's not that there's world peace is not achievable. It's just not. Why sin? Okay. So it's it's one of the reasons why. Um, in addition to that, this is never going to happen until Christ returns. That I believe things will not be solved, and will always happen until the end. We we can't end world hunger. We can't have total peace on the earth. Earthquakes, are, earthquakes, tornadoes, all these natural disasters are going to happen. Why? Because the earth is cursed, okay? The weather's cursed, the land is cursed, all that. We're cursed under sin, right? The earth is cursed by sin. People are cursed by sin. Now, birth pangs is key because when a, it's tough at first, okay? And you're going, you don't even know. You just need to shut up. Like, don't even talk about it because you're, you're a guy. You don't understand, okay? I, I get that, but let me sympathize with you. I can't empathize. I can sympathize, right? Even in the last days of preparation for actual birth, like there's these things that are false con uh, contractions, right? Right? They're called the Braxton Hicks contractions. You think it's happening, but it's not, right? So you have these pains all along the way, and then you even get to this point where it's like, I I, here, oh, here it is. And you run to the hospital, and they go, no. No, go home, right? And then it happens again. You run to the hospital again. They're like, no, go home, right? There are normal pains, and then the whole, you know, the whole nine months, then the false pains getting close, and then the real ones come, right? And, and increasing pain throughout. But, but when, they, when they become regular and more intense, you know when it's for real, when the pains are like that, when it's, when it's happening and it's more intense, right? So Jesus is saying this is all just the beginning of the birth pains, okay? And you will know the end is near when the wars and famines and such happen with more frequency and more intensity, especially in the Middle East region, okay? That's the hub of all this. When the tribulations, to help us understand, get more intense and regular, you'll know it's, it's, hey, it's here, right? In a way, not like it has always been. Because the way it is today is like it's always been, okay? During, during that tribulation times leading up to the end, Revelation talks about four horsemen who will come, right? And the second is a red horse, and the rider upon it will be given the power to remove peace from the earth, okay? And, and he goes on to say, and that people should kill one another, okay? It will be a sad time in, unlike any other period of time until it escalates into the battle of all battles, right? Armageddon, Revelation 16, where the kings on the earth and people of earth battle one another, okay? Now, now you must be thinking, it's a sad, scary place. Like all this, like that. This is scary. I'm a like that brings fear to me to think that it's always going to be this way. It's going to get worse. 
and then there's that time's going to come, and am I going to be alive then, or am I going to be dead and gone, and, and how does that work, and like all these questions. I'm glad you have all those questions. Like, try to figure that out, okay? It's a, scat, it's a sad and scary place, especially to end a sermon, right? You're going, you're surely not going to end this right here, right? Okay? But the, but the beautiful part of all this is, is that this is Jesus talking to the disciples, telling them this, and he's not telling them to scare them into leaving the battle and stop. Like he's doing it to spur them on for them to understand how important our walk with him is and to understand truth and to walk in truth and not be deceived and be in unity with one another. And the one who is heading to the cross for our sin and God's great plan to redeem the earth and, and, and all those who are his can sit back and go, I have hope beyond this world and it's going to be okay. I can smile and have joy in my life you know, at one point we did the series Sorrowful, Yet Always Rejoicing. Yeah, there's some of this. It's going to hurt. It's going to be tough in today's time as we live. But we have a hope of beyond whatever your eschatology. Here's the thing we come together on. The gospel is the gospel. It gives us hope. However that plays out in the end, we're all good. And we have joy eternal. We have life eternal. We're with Jesus forever. New heaven, new earth, however you view all that stuff too, it's all good. And in the meantime, it just, it should motivate us to love others, to give grace, to give mercy, because that's what we've received from God, knowing his wrath is going to be poured out like this, but we get exempted from it. All the more thankful I should be, and all the more I should want to tell people all the more I should want to tell people, hey, I know this world's messed up, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be. There's a God who loves you, who made a plan to redeem you, full of love, grace, and mercy. Sin was brought up on us by our choosing. And he made a way for us to be out of that curse and back into his perfect creation. So, when you place your faith in Christ, for those who are His, believe the, he, that Jesus was, is the Messiah who came and fulfilled Scripture in dying for our sin, resurrected, defeating death. None of this is scary for us. We have a great future ahead. We have hope the rest of the world doesn't have, and they can't find, and they keep looking for God in his great love and mercy rescues us from ourselves and our broken world that sin created, our sin. It's why I, as the scriptures say, am compelled by the love of God, by his grace and his mercy to tell others about his great plan and so want others to be saved. So, so that's my question, really. As much as we can argue over points and the different viewpoints on things, I, I just want to know, does your view of the end times create more love for Jesus and more passion to share him with others in you? Okay? Or does the devil deceive you and get you focused on things that are minor compared to that? Deceive you into prosperity gospels, poverty gospels, false gospels that cause you to focus on the wrong things. We have a great purpose and mission on this earth in our time to spread the good news. It's good news. It's not scary or fearful news. That's, that's not what the Bible says we're sharing. It's the good news, right? It's good news. Not to work your way to heaven or be good enough yourself gospel, but the love, grace, and mercy, good news gospel, right? The one that does the work for you in spite of yourself. I mean, is that not amazing? I mean, it is to me. 
Like when you sit back and think about it, it just there's, there's no other plan like it. And it's because only God could come up with it. So don't back down. Don't back off. This is the most important thing a person can be aware of and live for is understanding who Jesus is and what that means to us and sharing the gospel. Nothing else will matter when it's all over. And so I'm looking forward to next week and learning more with you about these words of Jesus and how it affects our lives. But right now, just let's just pray together. Maybe for you, you're just now understanding the implications of all this and and see the love of Jesus maybe for the first time going, I, I see how the world is. I see how this, could, how he's talking about things play out. And I just, I just need to, I, I can feel God tapping me on the shoulder, pulling me toward himself. You feel that call. He's calling you out to follow him, to give yourself to a life for him. You can take that step right now by just repenting that big Bible word that just means you turn from yourself and your sin and you turn to Jesus. I'm no longer Lord of my life. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I understand what my sin means. As you, as you hear these words we spoke today, maybe it, and I see how bad, how bad sin destroys, that it brings death, not just physically, spiritually. Forever, it's a forever thing. And so, for you, maybe it's just becoming aware of that and going, I'm, I'm, I'm awake. I want to be awake. I want to be aware. I, wanna, I don't want to be asleep to those things. And, and so it's, you feel God prompting you out. You just turn from your sin and yourself, and you see how bad your sin is, and you just go, I don't want that, Jesus. I want you. So you just repent of your sin and accept what he has done for you dying on the cross in your place for your sin, resurrected after the third day, on the third day, um, sending the Holy Spirit to give you new life. You just have that conversation with God and you just repent and receive that gift from Him. That's all you got to do. And it's really not what you do, it's just you receiving what He's done for you. So Father, help us to be in the battle, to be aware of the spiritual warfare in our lives. Would you help us, Father, to to not be asleep, to walk faithfully in our relationship with you. Much is at stake, Father. Eternal lives are at stake, Father. May we be aware of the importance of the local church and the seriousness, the importance of our Savior's work through the local church and through us as the body of Christ. Help us to walk in a manner, help me, Father, to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, knowing it's all by your love, grace, and mercy that makes it possible. May that flow through us as your people today by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.